Hey, this is Sean from TPS Traffic Jam, and welcome to episode number two. In this episode, we are talking to Robin and Karen from the Traffic Injury Research Foundation, and the topic is distracted driving. Before you all write to me saying, hey, there's some popping and clicking noises coming from Robin and Karen's mics, we know. Uh, we, uh, we actually heard that live while we were recording, but we couldn't fix it, and we decided to, to just keep going. And we're going to work on fixing that for future episodes. But here we go for an hour and seven minutes of Traffic Jam. Hi, thanks for joining us for another episode of TPS Traffic Jam. That's where we talk about traffic, we jam. And joining me are Karen and Robin, and they're with TURF. TURF is the Traffic Injury Research Foundation. Welcome back. Good to see you, Sean. Great to be back. It is always fun. We have a great time whenever we do this. And uh, we're talking about different stuff. Last time we got together, the last episode was all about pandemic-related uh, trends, things we were seeing, driver behavior that was obviously risky and dangerous, and uh, how it was affecting and what we saw. So if you haven't seen that episode and you're watching now, please go back and watch it because it was a great episode. But we're talking about distracted driving today. And uh, you know, there's so, there's so much to talk about distracted driving. It is one of those things that we see everywhere. It seems that it's, 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 it's an epidemic. <laughs> In that we cannot get people to stop touching their devices. Uh, there's a lot of people who think it's acceptable, or if they stop their car, it's okay. And you know, the the laws have changed in Ontario anyway. Uh, I remember when it was $125, and then it just kept getting up and up and up because it wasn't conveying a, a change in behavior, or it wasn't it wasn't cre uh, creating a change in behavior. So they raised it and raised it. Now it's $615. Uh, it comes with a three-day license suspension, three demerit points on the first conviction, but it goes up from there. And uh, folks don't like getting tickets like that, uh, but we still see the problem. So, uh, what do you what are you seeing where you are? Well, actually, I have as soon as you're talking about that, I have a, a short, funny story for you. So, in BC, our uh, our legislation, like yours, it, you know, it just it keeps going up. They kind of come up with how do we get drivers to put these devices down and focus on the task of driving. So, one of the last rounds of increasing sanctions and fines i got invited to go down to the parliament buildings and there was this whole uh presentation with our local law enforcement uh, with the fines going up and then we did media after the fact and i did a live call-in show and one of the callers um got on the phone and, and and was really upset about how high the fine was because how is he supposed to be able to feed himself or pay rent if he has to pay such a high fine the, the just, logic of if you don't break the law, you don't have to pay is, is exactly. it was lost my, on him. My filter just fell right off. And I just basically said that. I'm like, there's a really simple solution. Don't touch your phone while you're driving. And then you'll have all the money you need to eat and, and pay your rent. But that thought process to me was just so astounding. It's, it's not like you, you don't have a choice. This is something that you are choosing to engage in, knowing that if you get caught and the chances are pretty good because it's such a big priority for law enforcement because it injures and kills people. Um, so just don't do it. But it's any yeah. offense, right? Like the, the, there's laws for, for everything. And and we get, and TikTok, we have a huge following. We just hit 560,000 followers, and uh, which is amazing. But at the same time, one of the most common things is we talk about fines and offenses and it's, it's a cash grab. Well, it's only a cash grab if you choose to, you know, become involved in that kind of behavior. And even then, it's not a cash grab. But it, but it's not. There's no grab. You have to donate it. You have to choose to to do the thing that breaks the law that results in a police officer taking action. And and the fact that people can't separate those two things, I, I just don't know how to. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't. I can't. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> What do you yeah. say? Well, and I think like as a criminologist, fines play an important role in shaping uh, people's behavior because it does create a deterrent effect. You you get a fine, you pay it, and it's like, I don't want to pay that again, so I'm not going to do that again. And I think um, increasing penalties is a, good, is a good thing. And we saw, you know, since 2008, when distracted driving legislation came in, uh, it came in with uh, more often fines. And then in 2013, 2014, we saw jurisdictions across the country steadily increase and add those demerit points to kind of up the penalty. But I think there's a proportion of us, you know, fines don't change our behavior. We're not motivated by the fine. And having talked to law enforcement across the country, often you get some drivers where it's like, just give, give me the ticket and let me get on my way. 
Um, so obviously it's not having effect. And I think it just speaks to the need that we need to look at other tools uh, and strategies to try and convince those people who are so invested in the, the distracted driving to make different choices. It, it, we call it education through enforcement. And, and it's, it's, it, it sounds terrible, but when you're trying to um, to convey or a change of behavior, it's that positive or negative enforcement. Well, I've called, I've pulled people over and given warnings. I've, pu I've pulled people over, obviously, and given tickets. Uh, sometimes I've just pulled people over to say, you're doing a great job. And, and each one of those interactions has a different effect. Um, there's arguments to see which one is the best, uh, the, the best one, I guess the jury's still out. But there are many people who have received tickets and continue to receive the same uh, the same tickets uh, on, go, on an ongoing basis. It's not a, a one and done. It seems to be that there is a such a, a high dependency on those tools that you can't put them down. And um, you know, I pulled people over and said, "Okay, I, I'm going to give you a ticket, but you're going to put that in the trunk, uh, and then you can continue to drive because you, you just how, what they were doing was so egregious. They, they were driving and looking down. Uh, some people argue that when, before the laws were uh, were introduced to make it illegal, it was safer because you could have your phone in front of your face." And it was, uh, you know, you didn't have to, to look down to hide. But again, excuses for why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, and I think the unfortunate reality is uh, drivers who drive distracted by virtue of the fact that they are fortunate and not crash involved gives them the idea that they're actually safe. And the reality is you're not safe. You're just lucky that the unexpected didn't happen in front of you at that moment. So I think the reinforcement they get from doing it persistently and not being crash involved really um, sends the wrong message um, that needs to be addressed. And I think one of the things we've talked about a few times before, Robin, which is, is a really good uh, way I think for people to look at it is they'll measure their driving ability by whether or not they've been in a crash. Um, but if you switch that around and you look at how many times have you been in a near miss, or, um, or near hit, however you want to, to phrase it. Um, almost all of us, either as a pedestrian, cyclist, a driver, you know, whatever it is, near misses happen all the time. So if you start to take a step back and look at what were the factors, what changed it, um, that it was only a near miss and not a collision, because uh, one of our, our most common sayings is the difference between a close call and a collision is measured literally in millimeters and microseconds. Mm -hmm. It's just it's a fraction of time. And I think a lot of people tend to think about distracted driving in particular as it's a big thing. It's if I'm looking away for like five or ten seconds or it's it's like it's really egregious. It's a it's a moment. It's just a, an it's just a moment in time. Well, and you never and, know when that moment comes. And, and as yeah. you mentioned in the last episode, daydreaming. You don't have to necessarily be using your phone to be distracted, not focused on the task at hand. Just being lost in your thoughts can leave you in a position where you end up in a collision. I, I, was, uh, uh, I posted a video a couple days ago on our TikTok account that has someone making a lane change on the Don Valley Parkway. And they, they waited for the first car to go by and they immediately initiated their, uh, I assume, uh, didn't make a shoulder check because if they did, they wouldn't have cut off and almost caused a collision. But is that a situation you go, wow, I, 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 I just, I, that was close. And then change your behavior going forward or just keep doing the exact same thing because uh, I, I don't, I don't know how someone continues to do the same thing. Uh, I think they call that. Uh, well, I don't know what they call that. Mm. Or I even if, if they're even aware that they almost caused a collision. Like lots of times, you see it unfolding on the road ahead of you, ahead of you, and the driver just continues on. And it's like, did you realize that you almost caused a collision? Um, you know. So I think they don't. The, the near miss doesn't even register. Well, yeah, there's those that were. were the, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it comes down to people's motivation, and a lot of that has to do with their personality. So uh, I am well known for being a rule follower. Uh, my friends in high school and beyond uh, uh, talked about the fact I am so square. And your colleagues. And your I'm colleagues. colleagues. <laughs> I'm so square. I'm a cube. Like, I just, breaking the rules does not come easily to me. So for me, the deterrent is I, I would be mortified absolutely mortified if I got found breaking, a, you know, a traffic rule. So that is enough for me, but other people are motivated by emotion or whatever it is. And in BC, so the distracted drive legislation came in in February of 2010. And at that point, I'd already been crash involved twice um, upon uh, moving to BC and, and neither were my fault when I was going through a green light. And then the other, I was just driving down the road and someone pulled out of a side street and just drove into the side of me. Um, that person, I will, 
at the time it didn't register with me, but they said at the time, um, they, they were very apologetic, unlike the first person. Um, and they just said, you know, I don't know what happened. I put my car in gear and I didn't put my brain in gear. I literally didn't see you until I was in your car. Like I had driven into you. And it wasn't until I started uh, this drop it and drive program that operates under turf that I started really looking into the science of distraction. How, because at the time I was 20. So I was like, what do you mean you didn't see me? I'm, I'm a big blue car. It's daytime. It, it's not raining. It's, it's how do you not see me? And then I started to learn about as amazing as our brains are, the limitations of what they can process and, and what starts to get missed. And when you were talking, Sean, at the beginning about that driver doing 150, one of our recent podcasts uh, that we did with TPS was on speed and distraction. And looking at it from the distracted driving perspective, uh, Transport Canada did this great study about field of view that demonstrates how your field of view shrinks when you're cognitively distracted. It's not mm -hmm. just about what is in your hands and where your eyes are looking. Um, but then I also learned through this podcast, speed also reduces your field of view. So when you combine speed with distraction, it's a bit of a recipe for disaster because you're just simply not taking in everything that's coming at you. And, and then you add things like fatigue, and and fatigue doesn't mean that you did you, you didn't sleep well last night necessarily, and and that you're tired, uh, and and you're falling down. Uh, that it's obvious. If fatigue is just from doing anything for a period of time, you you start uh, losing certain abilities. I was watching a. It was actually last night. I watched a a, a show online uh, on, on on the, the Netflix uh, about uh, cruise ships, and they talked about uh, captaining in the in the night, the night crew, the, the watch. And that they only do it in four-hour segments because you cannot continue that level of uh, focus any longer than that. They determine they change they change on a regular basis within the crew, and four hours is the maximum. Well, how long do we drive? You know, how long are we uh, off being focused on various tasks? And suddenly, the drive to and from somewhere is actually where you relax and do less focus. So it's very yeah. interesting, uh, you, you know, in that perspective. But something else that, you, that that triggered when you were telling me about. Uh, uh, not noticing things, uh, and you had uh, this is this is doubling down on something you had said earlier about a bear, which I, I'm dying to hear the story about a bear. But when I went to the police college, uh, they they showed us a video, and they asked us to count how many times a basketball had been thrown between players. And I, I I'll have to edit this in so we can play and show for everybody exactly this clip. And they, they, they after the video plays, they say, and did anyone notice the bear? And of course, no, nobody noticed the bear. And it was a person in a bear suit, walks through frame, you're so focused on looking at basketballs, you don't see the bear at all. It's really interesting. So when I first started, uh, so Drop It and Drive, I started, uh, well, I guess, yeah, 11 years ago now. And I basically started it because when I was dropping my kids off at their school, we lived in the Lower Mainland at the time, and my youngest was four, and my, my oldest was eight. And as a four-year-old, he's already shorter than the front of most of the vehicles driving off and on that school campus. And it was a 10 acre campus. And um, as a parent, I think any parent out there can relate to the fact, I will do anything to protect my kids. Like I will face my worst fear if it keeps my kids safe. Um, and as teachers, you're preparing these children and these young minds you know, for their future. So I was really astounded in September of 2010, after I dropped off my four-year-old and I'm walking around the campus for two hours, because there's no sense driving all the way home. Um, and I'm watching, other parents, uh, teachers, and administrators driving off and on the campus, and they, they've got their phones in their hands, they've got a breakfast sandwich in one hand, a cup of coffee in the other, they're driving with their elbows, and I just thought, this doesn't, this just doesn't make sense to me. Like, these kids are relying on us to keep them safe, and this is the behavior you're engaging in, and then, of course, my, you know, my cuteness kicks in, and it's like, that's, but that's illegal, why are you still doing that? Um, and so I came up with the idea for Drop It and Drive, and I didn't call it Drop the Phone and Drive because I wanted it to be more than just the phone. And I recognized even not having Robin's background in road safety and research and in criminology and all that, I wanted it to be about more than the phone because I already had an understanding, like just seeing the cup of coffee and the, and the sandwiches, like people just need to focus on driving. I'd been hit twice dealing with chronic pain, you know, for over a decade and a half at that point. And no one else should have to go through that. And it's so preventable. So the whole idea for Drop It and Drive kind of came into my head. And I partnered with RCMP, the Surrey RCMP and Surrey Fire Service, because I wanted um, people from your line of work, Sean, not for shock and awe, but I wanted to put together a presentation that combined the science of distraction 
um, the realities of, of what you're actually risking. It's not just about getting a ticket. These are lives that are at stake, especially mm -hmm. our children. Um, but I also wanted it to be something where you guys were able to share. What do you see on a daily basis? Like, what are you dealing with? And be able to be proactive about it instead of, you know, giving the ticket. And, and my, uh, my amazing co-speaker, co Tim Bailey from Missouri Fire Service, he was on the force for 27 years. So he, as he would say, he was literally picking up the pieces at crash scenes. So it's an opportunity to do the education, which you mentioned earlier, that is really important in this. And um, everything just kind of started to come together. But the game changer for me uh, was three months after I started Drop It and Drive. My daughter is uh, 19 now, but she was crash involved by a distracted driver. And I got the call from the crash scene. So that actually ended up completely changing my whole career path. Robin knows public speaking never on the radar not my thing very much behind the scenes kind of person but this was just too important it was one thing when i was crash involved and it's not like i'm a martyr but once it impacts your kid it is absolutely a game changer and i've watched her go through she's diagnosed with ptsd she's got short-term memory loss that she's had to work through but she's still on the dean's list at university and doing amazing, amazing. Um, but she's got the chronic pain that i have as well so when you start looking at distracted driving in particular and what is actually at stake and we talked a bit at the beginning about fines and penalties going up when i first started drop it and drive i did research on where where is everybody at with these fines and at the time alaska actually had a ten thousand dollar fine which i was yeah i was like what I, I mean, I'm all for making a deterrent. That's a lot's a heck of a deterrent. And I wonder if they don't lay any charges as a result of it. Does that mean that everyone just follows the rule? They, right. And I, we do hear that from police services across the country, right? They, they're they not, you know, anxious to go out there and write a six, seven, eight hundred dollar ticket either, right? Um, because the police officers know in their environment, they have a lot of distractions in the vehicle that they deal with. So it's really hard um, to also go out and, and lay those charges sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't have a problem. It's, it's, it's since changed in Alaska, but I, that, that stuck with me. It's like, how, how high does the fine have to go to get people to change their behavior? But going back to motivation, for me, motivation is I don't like to break the rules. It's not my thing. Um, becoming a parent, I want to keep my kids safe. My husband's on the road all the time. I want mm -hmm. him to be safe. Everybody needs to get home. That was kind of the underlying message for me is whatever you need to do when you get behind the wheel of that vehicle to make sure that you and other people get to get home safe, that should be the only priority. So the motivation for people is it's just really unique. And I think it's very personal. It's, I was going to say, it's very different for everybody. There are people who do it because it's the right thing to do or because they've got their motivations, their friends, their family, they want to go home. And that's great if it works. But if you look at places like, for instance, with criminality, there's there's places that have a three-strike rule. You're looking at life in, behind bars if you do it. Does it change their behavior? There's people who are doing life behind bars because they didn't change their behavior. So it doesn't work for everybody. And, and obviously, we've raised in Ontario all of the fines uh, repeatedly on this offense and the it doesn't change the behavior 100%, but there's obviously fewer people or people who are motivated. So everything's going to be there, there, there a different motivator for different people. I, I think the big thing is finding a way to communicate and, and to get the message across and have someone buy into the fact that acknowledge that it's not the right thing to do because you're putting lives at risk and it could be your own, could be so many reasons to go home. For me, anyway, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a parent, I have friends, I, I have family. I, I don't want that to change in terms of being either impacting them by removing myself from their lives or having them removed from my life. Like It's, it's just, it, to me, it's obvious, but it's not obvious to everybody. So how do we do it? What do we change? What's, what's, the, what's the magic uh, wave of the wand that we can do? Um, so for a magic wave of the wand, I think we could um, help people uh, focus on their own driving behavior. We often are concerned about other drivers on the road, and yet we don't control any of them. We do control ourselves. And I think one of the the gaps when it comes to distraction is drivers and other road users who can also be distracted just don't self-identify. They uh, think they don't drive distracted. and. The truth is that they probably don't drive distracted most of the time or some of the time, but they forget that that, you know, reaching across the the seat uh, into your purse, that's distraction. Reaching sure. into the back seat to grab a bag and, and pull it forward, you know, unwrapping whatever it is that you're going to be eating. Um, you know, the, the conversation even with the passenger in the car, we tend not to notice those moments in our own drive. Um, and I think if we could 
help people self-assess and self-diagnose, then the campaigns and the education piece would make much more sense. I think the challenge we face right now is a lot of people see the education and they think it's for other drivers and not for their... Because they're really good drivers. Just ask them. Right. Surveys show like more than 80% of people uh, would rate themselves as an above average driver. And yet if you spend any time on the road, you know there is no way that is true. Um, so I think helping people learn to recognize those moments in their car and then they also you know, think that it's two seconds. Everyone knows, you know, more than two seconds increases your crash risk. So they think when they're doing something, it's just two seconds. But studies have shown it's actually four seconds, eight seconds, 10 seconds, 12 seconds. And that's it's a long time. Time stands still when you're doing something and you're focused on it instead of what you're supposed to be doing. I think we should have video cameras watching every driver, you know, mandatory. It's watching you, whether you're picking your nose, or you're touching your phone, it's going to be recorded. And when they have a crash, it's going to be played in open court, or maybe on television. The, the truth is that that uh, people are not aware of what they're doing. Um, I, I remember doing an investigation. Uh, I, w I went to go pick up some video. There was an unfortunate situation where someone was killed. Uh, someone had driven past a construction site. They killed a, a, a worker on that site. Um, but a dump, dump truck operator had video of it. So I went to get that dump truck footage and of their dash cam, and the driver had no idea uh, that the camera was also recording him. And facing. when I reviewed the footage, um, yes, he did capture the, the killing of that road worker. And no, he did not hurt anybody in, in, in what he was doing. But what was fascinating was watching him on his phone driving a dump truck for 20 minutes prior to uh, capturing that, that, uh, that unfortunate incident. So. Right. We're just not aware, and it, we, you do things automatically. You just things happen. You you respond. You hear that blink of of a of a tweet or a, a text message, and you you don't even realize it. But your eyes are looking for your phone very often, even if you don't touch the phone. You've taken the best thing to do is to completely silence your phone, and 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 yeah. make it part of your routine to not include it in your drive. Right. Uh, and there's there's studies that have been done that actually show they measure how long it takes drivers to re-engage once they've been distracted. And I, it can take up to 30 seconds for a driver to kind of get their head back in the game and, and focused on the road and, and get back into it after they've been distracted by, by something else. Well, and I think a great analogy for people that most people could relate to is, and I do this when we present at schools, oil and gas, mining, forestry, this is applicable across any audience, is how many people have got into, uh, we'll call it a, a, a heated discussion with a partner or a friend and it's just it's right up there and you walk out the door and you slam the door and is it just gone it's just all sunshine and rainbows like you're, you don't think about the oh i should have said that or oops i shouldn't have said that or it, it keeps playing in your head that's how we're wired so the same mm -hmm. thing happens you know going back to what you mentioned at the beginning sean about what's going on in our heads and how that impacts our ability to focus on driving Everything that you experience in your home, in your workplace, where you're, you know, you walked into a chair that you just didn't see, or you you were off in your own uh, headspace and someone scares the crap out of you because they come up to you and they, they you didn't see them. They're like, what do you mean you didn't see me? Like, I'm walking right at you. It's like, I just, I wasn't here. All those things that happen outside of the vehicle happen inside the vehicle. You don't stop being that person just because mm -hmm. you're driving. So recognizing that. When you get in that vehicle, like you have to consciously engage everything. And one of the neat things I learned, and Sean, you can probably speak to this uh, from our law enforcement co-speakers, is that at the beginning where you're going through the testing and you have to do like a ride along with your, your sergeant or your, your uh, upper line, you have to actually audibly identify everything you're seeing while you're driving. So there's a woman with a, a black stroller, there's a a white uh, Western Star truck up ahead. There's this coming up behind. You actually have to talk through, I think it's like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes or something. It's exhausting, so you don't want to do it all the time. But it's a way to show that you actually are seeing everything you need to see in the moment that you're in. Because like there was an incident down in the States, uh, the 22-year-old survived, but she was on the phone with her dad and she drove into the side of a moving train. Wow. She didn't wow. drive over the railroad tracks and not see the train coming. The train was already there. And she was so engaged in her conversation with her dad, she drove into it and her dad heard it. Wow. You know, and I get goosebumps just even talking about that story. And thankfully, yeah. she, you know, she did survive. But uh, back to what Robin was talking about, you know, the magic wand, I think part of it is empowering passengers as well 
to speak up. Say something if your driver's distracted because the life you save could be yours. Passengers and other people are at more risk of injury and death than a distracted the distracted driver. So giving people the information and the tools and the resources and the little tidbits of science that they can use to start that conversation so that they can take control of the fact that you're driving. My life is literally in your hands and what you're doing is not making me safe. So just, you just give me the phone or whatever it is. I am not a good passenger to begin with. I, I don't, I am obviously a control freak. I, I like driving. Uh, after I was in my, uh, my collision, my motorcycle collision, I became hypersensitive. Uh, to the point where I was watching everything. It was exhausting to be driving because I was so switched on and worried about the next collision. Uh, I, you know, I hear the screech of tires and I could feel my heart racing. Uh, th there's there's a, phys a physical response now to driving having been crash involved. Um, more so than when you're, you, know, you manage 10 or 15 or 20 years of driving and you just get to where you're going and no issues, right? Uh, it, it does change things for you, definitely. It's a very marked change for me uh, and, I, and I'm sure for many others as well. Uh, I completely lost what I was gonna say besides that, but it, it's amazing how autopilot-like we are in our, in our regular activities. Um, and we just get there. And so many drivers, and, and I've experienced it myself, where I pull in or I make a turn, I'm like, where was I for the last five minutes? Like, you, the, we, we don't even pay attention, or we run, especially happens to people, even when they're on speakerphone. Uh, they think that they're not distracted because they're not holding a phone or looking at the phone. But when you're engaged in conversation or actively trying to recall information, you're still not paying attention. You're just getting through the broad strokes uh, and, and managing not to hit anything sometimes. Yeah, well, and I think um, that this, so that's the issue of being alert, right? Uh, even when you're driving, you need to maintain a certain level of mental activity to keep yourself alert. Otherwise, yeah, you zone out and it's like the last 10K I drove, I, I don't remember it. Um, so I think we underestimate um, driving because we're comfortable doing it. We do it, you know, pretty much every day. Um, and I think we, uh, Going back to what you said about uh, fatigue, uh, Sean, there's also the issue of complacency, right? You've done it. You've done it many times. You're driving like that long, boring stretch, like the the crew out in the ocean, right? What are they going to to run into? Um, so there's a sense of complacency, and I think sometimes we we struggle with that when we're driving, and we we need to keep ourselves alert and engaged and our head in the game because you just never really know when when something unexpected is going to happen. So from turf and drop it and drives perspective, when you, when you're trying to convey the, or educate, what, what is the primary focus? Like, is it, is it, uh, you know, just focus on driving? Is it, uh, is it to push or explain the risks? Where do you focus your attention? Yes. So for us, so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to start first and then I'm going to turn it over to Karen. Um, so for us, the emphasis is really on helping people recognize and self-diagnose when they're distracted. So uh, lots of people will tell you they're great multitaskers. Karen and I talk about this often um, and, and it's what they're doing is not multitasking, it's toggle tasking. Mm -hmm. They're switching their attention back and forth. So how many of you have been, you know, uh, in the kitchen? and trying to cook and you're trying to carry on a conversation at the same time and you have to keep back going back and looking at the recipe that you just looked at eight seconds ago because whatever you read is gone from gone. your head so that's you know just a great uh, experience where you recognize you're distracted so with the drop it and drive program karen really does a great job helping people go through some of those exercises where you realize you're you're not a multitasker you're switching your attention rapidly back and forth across tasks and ultimately you're not doing either task very well absolutely and, and you just and the thing that i couldn't remember before i now remember um i i talk about the scalpel and i use this in a, when i talk to my wife uh because it seems that only when i prepare my workspace I, I like to build things and make things have a little workshop i get down i get to the point i take the scalpel and i'm already i'm gonna i'm gonna do something i, I find and then i hear daddy's needed or can you do and i and i have to stop I go and I take care of what I need. It takes me 10 or 20 minutes to get back to where I'm ready. And that's exactly when they ask me to do something next. So it, it's a joke in our house because I'm always, with, you know, I get to the point where I never get anything done because I get to the point where I'm ready to, to use the scalpel and I have to stop to do something else. Anyway, the, the concept of having to, to get into a mode to do that task properly and then be disrupted, uh, similar to how, um, you know, when you're, when you're focused on something, 
uh, you're intently paying attention and then nothing else matters because I can tell you that I'm, I'm reading something, I can't hear my kids. They're talking to me, daddy, 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 until my wife says, hey, you, your kids need you. But that's just amazing as to how well we can exclude other um, stimulus when we want to. But somehow we want to be distracted when we're driving because we're willing to listen to anything, the phone, the, the stereo, the, 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 the birds chirping or what have you. Right. And I mean, I think the the other issue that people don't recognize is when you are trying to multitask and do too many things at once, ultimately what happens is your brain becomes full, right? You can only literally process so much information at a time. And when you're driving and you're overwhelmed by information, um, what happens is your brain just starts filtering it out, but it's not strategically thinking, Ooh, that's important. I'll remember that. Ooh, that's not important. I'll get rid of that. It's just <laughs> saying I'm full and throwing things out and you have Something no just idea. squirts out your ear. Exactly, exactly. But you have no idea if one of those pieces of information that's getting tossed out is actually a pedestrian standing in a crosswalk in front well, of yeah. you. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, those are the, the consequences you can't take back. Uh, th those are the things that uh, that are going to be involving everyone involved forever and, and ever. Um, you know, it's it's funny. I, th I think when I pull people over for, for cell phone use or speeding or whatever, it must be that information that, that is lost, that they were doing it. Because every time when I pull them over and say they were speeding, they say they weren't. And every time I pull them over for using their cell phone, they say, I wasn't using my cell phone. And, <laughs> and it must be that information that they're excluding unintentionally, yeah. you know, just before I pull them over. But <laughs> we, uh, we actually did a really, well, I think it was a really cool pilot program with Victoria Police Department. Uh, an offender program and I like I'm all about education the, big, the biggest thing for me is um, you mentioned about how people are addicted to their phones and when people find out I do what I do even when I'm it, like in a group setting I'm doing a presentation they'll come up to me all sheepish like oh I'm, I'm addicted to my phone I feel so bad I'm, I'm so sorry I'm like I, I don't I, I don't mind you can be addicted to your phone I'm addicted to chocolate own it it's your thing <laughs> yeah. go for it like don't keep like don't get between me and my chocolate danger but own it so you know you're addicted to your phone build it into you get in your car you put on your seatbelt. you turn your phone on silent you put it in the glove box um like don't worry about that side of it worry about the side that you know you recognize this is something you do like robin was saying you self-identified this is an issue for you you can't resist the tweet the chirp the whatever it is your phone's making even if you don't acknowledge it and do something with it your brain is still pulled away just because mm -hmm. it's heard that sound now you're wondering Part of your brain, like Robin was saying, you can't pick and choose. So part of your brain while you're driving is wondering, was that so-and-so reaching out to me? Was that the appointment confirmed? Was that whatever? And it takes, like you said, Sean, it takes you time to come back in. Well, you don't have that freedom when you're behind the wheel of a vehicle. You have to be fully engaged the whole time. So yeah. don't worry about the fact that you're addicted to your phone. I don't mind. Like, you do you. But do something with it. And one of the things I enjoy so much about uh, the presentations, the drop and drive ones we do, and, and regardless of the age, are the interactive exercises. We have a video up on uh, the drop it and drive website that's the beanbag test. And I'm always trying to come up and I'm brainstorming with Robin or my co-speakers, like let's come up with some new fun game. And my Amazon shopping list is hilarious because I like order children's puzzles and my kids are teenagers. And like, why do you have a dinosaur multicolored puzzle? I'm like, oh, I have the best game I just came up with. And you go into a room and, and you're, you know, you do part of the presentation, but then you bring these highly qualified, experienced drivers up to the front and you engage them in something that's relatable. So it's like, okay, simple task take this orange cork put it on the purple squares on this eight and a half piece of paper take the purple ones put them on the orange easy peasy right and they're like yeah no problem you just reverse the color okay so they start doing that it's like okay now so what's seven plus three uh and they'll pause sometimes just for a second or spell peanut butter and they'll spell yeah. peanut but not butter or they're so the, the, they won't even consciously choose i'm going to focus and i'm going to get every cork right and I had one guy I said, can you spell, you know, spell chocolate? He goes, nope. And he's just like, it's just starting his course. Well, and it's, it's interesting watching those exercises because you can literally see them stop sorting, 
to answer the question and then they go back to sorting and then they stop sorting to answer the question and they don't know they're doing it but everybody around them is watching them pause and it's a great teachable moment astounded. So you're astounded. and you learn that some people can't spell really well oh. <laughs> I keep the questions really simple and I, and I usually bring up the highest ranking person in the room so if the president and CEO is in there I'm like let's go let's do this so that yeah. they know this isn't about you know where what level you're at or what you're doing this is a reality for every human you have a limited capacity to process uh cognitively demanding tasks even at the most basic level and once they experience it it's a fun environment you know, like i'm sure they're feeling the waves of support coming from all their colleagues <laughs> they're laughing their heads off at them that they forgot to spell the butter part or they missed sorting the red and yellow bean bags or you know whatever it is but then you then you get into having conversations and then you sure. start finding yourself having these epiphany moments. And I can literally look out in the audience and I can see light bulbs coming on like, oh, that explains this situation. Why I can't do that. Yeah. And it's that light bulb moment when they get it, but you have to put yeah. them in a situation where they can get it. So we, yeah. we just need that for everybody else. Um, yeah. And there's there's gotta be a way to do it. Like my kids know that you don't use a cell phone while you drive and they're young. Uh, but somehow that fades or we miss the boat with everybody else. You know? uh, I remember when my buddy had a phone in his car and it was a phone. It was little and you had a one button on it. You spoke to the operator. And you told him the key because that was that was a it wasn't even called a cellular phone. It was, what was it called? It was a mobile phone. Uh, mobile you know, phone. and you had an operator you spoke to and everybody could hear your phone call. And um, I've, I've seen the introduction of this technology and I've seen what it's what it's done and I've, I've witnessed it, uh, you know, in terms of investigating collisions and seeing what, what the bad things that can happen. But we don't necessarily get that reality check uh, with everyday living, especially yeah. as we say, someone who's had near miss. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, so one of the most visually um, descriptive uh, studies that I've seen to really capture that uh, was a study uh, done here in Ontario and the researcher put a functional MRI, they hooked a person up to a functional MRI so you could see their brain activity in a simulator and had them do a simulated drive and do some distracting tasks. So you can see when they're not distracted, when they're driving, a lot of their brain activity is in the back of their brain. So that's like your your uh, motor coordination and, and visual scanning and so forth. And then when they introduced the distracting task, you'd kind of see that like the lights in the back of their brain dim and the front part of your brain where you're thinking, your decision-making takes over, right? So you can literally see the shift in mental resources from the back to the front of your brain uh, while you're distracted while you're driving. And I, it was just so visually captures exactly what's happening in your head. And I think um, that's something I use often when I'm presenting to help people understand what exactly they're doing. What's the bear story? So we talked about the bear in my, in my story, but I want to hear the bear in the, the, the other story. Okay, so there's there's two bear stories. The first one, well, really neither neither were mine, but first one is a news story out of the states and uh, the uh, media. They're in a helicopter and they're filming. I can't remember why they're filming. They're doing some kind a bear of bear on the loose. It was a bear on <laughs> the loose <laughs> in a down in like a, a residential area. Bear on That's the loose. Right. Yeah. It was the bear. The bear was the star of the story. So there's yeah. this big bear. Big, big black bear on the loose down somewhere down in the States. And then as the camera pans over to the entryway of the house, which was separated from the driveway by a large shrub, um, you see this young guy, not too young, like a young adult walking out, and he's got his nose buried in its phone, and he's just texting away, and he's walking towards the bear, and the bear's walking towards him. And then all of a sudden, the bear kind of disappears behind the shrub, and he's still walking. And I mean, just kind of based on the speed that they're both going, they got real close before close. this guy suddenly looks up. He's like, "Ah, crap, bear!" And, <laughs> it's a very stealthy bear. Very stealthy. Like he didn't hear the bear, and he didn't hear the helicopter overhead either. Heard yeah. nothing. So yeah. uh, that was a good one. But the other one was we were uh, doing a presentation of the forest industry, and uh, one of the things you were asking about dropping and drives. So obviously, distracted driving is a big part of it. But we do delve into, especially with our younger audiences and passengers, distracted walking. Um, and just distractions in, in the workplace. One of the forestry companies we work with, um, when we got there, we were up in northern Alberta, and we got out of the vehicle and we walked across to the building, and there's like massive machinery going this way and that way, and somebody walked through the parking lot um, texting on their phone, and I just thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. 
mentioned it in passing and then the company actually put in uh, a rule no phones when you're walking through the parking lot i'm like oh that's like instant they didn't they've been doing this for years and no one really thought that oh yeah this is a this is something we should address so the bear story though we were doing actually a workshop to help um, safety professionals uh, present on this issue at their, you know, their tailgate safety meetings and all that. And so we gave them the tools and facilitated the session on how that they can make it relatable. Cause you know, we present to all industries, but clearly I'm not a forester. I'm not a professional truck driver. I'm not a miner. So what we share is information in a highly sophisticated, um, industry that already knows about safety, but we're sharing what they don't know. They don't know. So we give it to them and then they apply it to their industry based on their experience. So this, this one team put together their presentation and they, um, their example they used for distracted walking was their choice was up on a cut block where there, a lot of their guys would listen to music and the fellow was, and they're allowed to, and he was, you know, marking whatever needed to be marked and they're way up on this cut block. And, um, I don't know what they're like back out there, but out here in BC is a lot of like straight vertical situations and all that in the mountains. It's pretty treacherous. I avoid mountains and, for a reason. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, this guy was just so into his tunes. Um, and he was close to one of these drop offs that, uh, he didn't hear a bear come up behind him and what actually saved his life was that drop off because Whoa. the bear came up and like, Hey, I'm here. And he jumped with a start and rolled down that embankment and the bear just decided, ah, now you're not worth it. Or, you know, whatever. I don't like your taste in music. Well, we don't know what the bear wanted. He may have just needed a great poupon or something like that. <laughs> right. It's like high five. I like that tune you're playing, you know, but just helping people again, understand it's distracted driving is definitely, it's, it's the, you know, a, a priority issue, but just distraction in general, what's keeping you safe um, in your workplace, regardless of where it is, as the error that can be made something that is critical. If you are cognitively distracted, if your head's just not in the game, if you're in the medical industry, obviously that can be really significant. Um, so it's just coming up with these relatable, but really fun ways to help people, like Robin said, self-identify like, oh, now I can, I can put myself in that. Oh, I remember I was working in the backyard listening to tunes and the neighbor was like yelling at me like, hey, your dog's running loose. And I just, I didn't hear it. Um, or like you were saying, my husband's like you, Sean, he can be reading something and he can, he, like, he just doesn't hear anything. And I'm like, how is that possible? Like, I'm so tuned into my kids. I hear them. I'll tell you what, my, my, my wife gets upset with me if I don't hear them when they're speaking because she sees them and hears them and knows that they're there. But then the funny thing is I catch her doing the exact same thing. We're not, oh. not you know, she'll be looking at her phone intently trying to concentrate on something and everything fades away. And I'll say, hello, hello, hello. And, and no one hears anything. And then what do you mean? Oh, you were speaking? So <laughs> it's, it's, everyone is susceptible to this. And it's, it's fantastic that we have the ability to, because I'm sure that's the only reason I was able to, to study was being able to exclude everything else. And this is before, you know, uh, sound isolating or sound uh, uh, fancy headphones that make it so I don't have to hear anybody else talking. I, I don't need that. My brain does great things about it. Uh, so it is interesting, and I don't know what the perfect excuse is. Like we talk, we talk about. Sorry, excuse isn't the right word. Solution, because you know these devices are no longer just telephones. It's the, the problem is that we rely on them so, for so much. And social media, uh, I mean, I, I love getting notified when we get likes and comments and, and it, I, it's become part of my day to engage on social media. So I, I look forward to it, but I don't wanna do it when I'm driving and it's not, it, and I'm not talking to somebody every minute. So, so what's the excuse? Why do I need this? What is the, the, uh, the, the, the draw? Um, I don't know. I think it's FOMO. Fear That's of interesting. Out. You know, it's not just a, it's not just a kid thing or a teen thing. And we go when we talk to schools, one of the first things out of any, you know, one of our, the speaker's mouths is we're not here because you're the problem. You might be part of the problem if you choose to be, but we're here because you're the solution. So again, going back to that magic wand, what is the solution? It's getting this information in front of them as early as possible. I mean, presenting to elementary schools, super fun. One of the great things about kids that age is they have no social filter. They are not mm. concerned about whether or not what they're saying is politically or even socially correct. They will just say it. So 
uh, one my of the five-year-old is confirmation of that. <laughs> oh, right. Absolutely. You know, and uh, Kylie, like I said, she was eight when she was hurt. And uh, one of the first things we did to raise awareness in BC, and with Kylie as, a, as an artist, um, we did a poster contest. And so back then, Drop It and Drive was like, we weren't even a guppy. We were like tadpole in a very large sea of road safety. So I just emailed all the superintendents of schools across BC. And I'm like, hey, I'm doing this poster contest. Kids, kindergarten to grade seven. I want to know what they're seeing. What, what did they see when they're, you know, a captive audience in a vehicle? I got 450 posters wow. from kids uh, within a month doing this poster contest and let me tell you they threw their parents under the proverbial bus <laughs> there was just no concern whatsoever i had posters of mums drinking a glass of red wine i don't want to be like this when i grow up i had mm. and i had everything from really funny stuff to just heartbreaking you know a, a cousin who was killed by a distracted driver so it scares me when i see my mom or dad use their phone and you know for me it's I choke up when I think about it, and this is like 11 years ago now, but these kids have the capacity to not only create change now by speaking up, but they also have the capacity that once they become of driving age, they've been learning about the risks of some of these behaviors since they're in kindergarten, whether it's through a poster contest or a presentation or whatever it is, that by the time they hit 16 or whatever, you know, wherever they are in Canada and they're driving, they're already well aware of the risks and the consequences and what it took for them to change their parents' behavior. And, and I had one teacher, um, uh, one of their students won the, uh, one of the levels of the contest at their grade, and she actually turned the poster contest and all the resources that I gathered on Drop, Put, and Drive, which, by the way, is now way better because we're with Turf, and Turf has way more information than, than I ever got access to. But um, she actually turned it into a two-week curriculum for her wow. kids and then she emailed me and I still have the email to tell me that one of her little guys went home and convinced his mom to never touch your phone again while driving and he came Get back out. in and he was so proud that he rightfully so it. so you know I say one of the magic things is we got to get this don't disregard kids just because they're young. They see and hear everything, and any parent knows that. So why not get them on board with road safety right out of I the gate? I love it. I want to know when the coloring books. We talked about that last time. The coloring books are coming out. When that, that happens, I want I want to get those to my kids. Uh, well, I, wait, 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 wait. Kylie did a great piece of art, actually, um, that yes. we've used that um, captured kind of how her experience of being crash-involved affected her. Okay. Um, so, Karen, I think you should show that because it's it's really yeah. like a stick piece of I art. I will. Yeah. Send it to me. I'll throw it on screen. I uh, will. Yeah. Called it the road, and it's it's very poignant, and it uh, we tied it actually into uh, the release uh, through our just um, Canadian Coalition on Distracted Driving. We did a couple of fact sheets on the impact of preventable collisions on first responders um, and PTSD, uh, critical incident stress, CIS, and, and all that. And this was from like from her perspective, how she sees things through the eyes of a young person dealing with PTSD. And um, the fact it's my kid, I'm both proud and sad that this, yes. is, this is her reality. Um, but the fact she could put it, you're right, Robin, like it's, it's just an incredible piece of artwork that really tells the story of, you know, this isn't about getting a ticket. Distracted driving isn't about the inconvenience of being pulled over or the embarrassment or the cost or the points or any of that stuff. This is about a behavior that um, creates preventable collisions and injuries that you can't take back and lives lost that you can't get back and every stat you see uh, that comes out and, and turf does these wonderful road safety monitor reports that you know takes polls of what are the attitudes of, of canadians they're not just numbers those you know when you start looking at the fatality database that turf manages and you, and you see those numbers it's people it's it's the three of us here when you look at the number of people lost every day um, I think I would just challenge people to look around them and, and just consider what if that was one of you? And that's the thing. It's not the three of us. It's the three of us and our families and the people who interact with our families. And it cascades its communities. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's huge. It, you know, the ripple effect of one person, one life lost is enormous. Uh, coworkers and extended, I mean, it, it just goes on. And it's heartbreaking. And we've been to far too many uh, as a police officer and police officers around the world are involved with so many uh, heartbreaking situations. And it's easy to say that's sad and move on, 
when it's not someone that that you're directly touched by. Um, but you see the the heartbreak. I mean, I don't want to go down this road. It's 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 absolutely heartbreaking, uh, and it, that it happens far too many times and regularly. And it, it, it doesn't look like there's any end in sight, so, which is why the education is so important, so we can change hearts and minds and get people to, to accept and buy it. I will tell you something interesting. There's two things I want to talk about. One uh, d deals with technology. I want to talk about the fact that there's the, all this voice technology. You don't ever have to touch it, but it's still distraction even if you're talking to your phone, which people think it's, you know, you can just, it, it, it's, it's suddenly safe. It's still a distraction, but it's far better than actually taking your eyes off the road and, and, uh, and touching the phone. Uh, so do you think that, that being able to talk to Siri or Google or whatever is, is, is any benefit or is it still nothing is better than, uh, than, than even that? So those types of technologies in the vehicle uh, also come with risks, um, and it's because of how well they work and the quality of the human-machine uh, interface. So um, Dr. David Strayer out of the University of Utah has done a number of really comprehensive studies looking at you know, current modern day vehicles, newer vehicles uh, with the bells and whistles and the different types of technologies and, you know, voice assistance and that that they have in there. And the quality of the human machine interface is not great. Um, and I'm, I think everyone who's used these technologies has had the experience where they've had to repeat multiple times what they're saying. And it's you know, the device still still doesn't register what you're saying. Uh, we were uh, talking uh, the other day, uh, Karen about one of the, the voice recording uh, of something we were doing. It, she was saying Kylie said, but what it, oh, the yeah. voice recorder came out said kamikaze. Hey. It's like not even close. So we're I think turning it into a game. Whatever it is, I, I I actually don't correct it anymore. I got tired of it back in the day when I had yeah. uh, uh, devices that were uh, not so good. I, yeah. yeah, I would just let it go and see what happened. You know, you get these answers going what? Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. But but I do appreciate the technology that does it. But I am I am of the mind that it I I, I tend to end my things or either begin or end by saying this is being transcribed by Siri. You get what you get, and I just <laughs> and I just give it to them, uh, or or voice notes, or there's lots of different options. But uh, I don't want to touch my phone. I, I yeah, don't want it to be involved. The research showed with those technologies is actually people would spend a lot of time actually looking at the technology, looking at the screen, and trying to troubleshoot while they're driving, yeah. so their eyes would be off the road for you know up to thirty seconds, and it's like that's that's really not safe. So. A lot of the technologies that we're seeing, they have potential, but really the quality of the human machine interface and how intuitive it is to use um, is what's going to make or break us in terms so, of. So if it's, if it's good, it's 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 better when it's bad. It may be a distractor and worse. And the real answer is leave it to later. I mean, yeah. you don't need to do anything. Well, uh, when it comes to GPS as well, like, don't forget a wrong turn is just a wrong turn. It's not the end of the earth. You, you do three oh rights, you get goodness. back on. Like, you, I see like vehicles, they just go like from the far left lane and they go shoot no over the exit. They don't miss it. And it's like, like what is so important that, that you that you would do that? Um, and the yeah. easiest solution for all of that is give yourself extra time. Plan ahead. Yeah. You know, if you don't know where you're going, that's great. Just give yourself extra time and you'll be fine. And then certainly those 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 maneuvers that are I, I mean, I, I put them on whenever I get one sent to me, I put it up on TikTok because it's amazing to me that these people survive every day and continue to yeah. uh, to go on the road and are well, willing. I have, a, I have a short local story for you here from Nanaimo. So I, I was flying out east and I actually ended up being interviewed on the plane by CBC because the story came out while I was in, in transit. But this young woman um, on our major uh, island parkway highway, she decided to curl her hair while driving. And oh. for like way back in the 80s, so I'm really dating myself, you had the brawn cordless curling irons with that little plug-in thing. Oh, yeah. Okay. So those are the gas-powered ones, right? The ones yeah, butane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Butane. Anyone who's been anywhere near those, no, they are hot. Like a single quarter second touch, and you feel that. So she's got both hands, and she's she's doing 90 down the highway, and a passenger yeah. in the vehicle beside her had filmed it and then provided the information to the police. And I'm, you know, I'm guessing they went and had a little education chat with her. But I often, you know, when we were talking through that and I'll, I'll bring it up, because it's like, this is like 1980s technology here, people. We're not talking about cell phones. This is a behavior-based issue. Mm -hmm. This is her belief that 
she didn't get up early enough, like you said, Sean, to get her makeup on and her hair done and all that. So her choice was, well, I'll just do it while I'm while I'm driving down the highway. And it's like, you don't get to do that. That's not like, that's not okay. So trying to get people to recognize, yeah, phones are definitely an issue, but this is not about technology. This is about people's mindsets and their choices and their inability to recognize this is a highly risky behavior. And for that type of person, what will make them stop? Will the education session with the officer, if that's what happened, make it stop? Or is she going to have to be crash involved if she realizes you cannot be curling your hair while you're doing And, and some folks just won't highway. learn ever. It's just yeah. simple. I'll tell you, a couple of days, last couple of days I put up videos on TikTok specific to a handheld communication device. Someone had asked about the points and how long they last and understanding the fines, so we explained that. And then there were so many angry comments about the fact that, well, police do it all the time. They're, they're distracted driving. And I explained in Ontario, and I don't know where it is, how it is elsewhere, but I assume it'll be similar. There's exemptions for law enforcement to communicate. They need to do that. There's vital, oh, there's vital information that we need to get access to. And uh, as such, we're allowed to. Well, that just set people off. So I had a follow-up video explaining that it's not for, it's not for when we you know, want to order pizza. It's for you know, getting important information related to the emergency call we're on. And here's the funny thing, and I haven't done a follow-up video yet, but it's, it, it, there's, a, there's a belief that, and, and actually I was, I was impressed at how much of a belief there was that cell phones are bad. But they said, you should be using your police radio and you have a police computer, that's what that's for. Not realizing that those are also distractions and they're covered under yeah. the same exemption for using the cell phone. But it, why is it okay for me to, I mean, I know why it's okay because it's, it's, it's requirement. I need to get that information because I'm going to go help someone that could die if I don't get there in time, could, who, who could be being beaten, could be in a car accident, that could be. I need to get certain information, like where I'm going. Um, but the, the concept that don't use your cell phone, that's bad. Use the walkie-talkie, that's okay. Use the, the handheld. Hand, hand that's. Yeah. But yeah. to the point where they're, they're, they're calling us hypocrites, you have tools, use those tools there's somehow a disconnect. Anything you do other than driving is distraction. There's just an acceptance, there's an exclusion or a permission to do it for the people that are required. That's not to say everyone should be doing it. And that, that's a big deal. Some people just don't like the fact that we can do something that they can't. It's a different thing. But the other thing too, too, Sean, is you also get a lot of professional training when it comes to driving on a closed course. So you get hours and hours and hours of driving um, with a professional instructor that you don't get like other people don't have. Um, so I think, you know, you're also trained to be able to do that. And that's not necessarily that it makes it safer, but it'll, you're more informed about the issue um, and you are trained to actually respond. And there's a lot of muscle memory that goes into, into that so as John, well. So, yeah, so it's, it's, it's different. And then, you know, driving a motorcycle, you also learn to drive defensively. So sure. it's like driving skills that police officers have. We're professional drivers. More, yeah, you're professional drivers. And that's the average driver can't say that. Well, and I'm curious too, Sean, how many people complain about the fact that you carry a handgun? You know, <laughs> we're allowed because to and they're I, not. Yeah, I can't, I can't do that. Um, so it, to me, it is. It, it's it's kind of like it's it's not it's not a buffet of laws, right? Like police, yeah. you are trained and, and you need to use certain tools, but also as the people who have to deliver the NOKs, you are highly sensitized to what is at risk, more so I think than, than anybody else. So if you're using those tools in the, you know, in, in, in the course of your duties, like mm -hmm. you said, there's a life at risk or there's something, if I pick up the phone and call 911, I want you to get here as fast as you can, as safely as you can. I can't afford for you, if someone has broken into my home and they're threatening me and my kids, for you to pull over safely, put your car in park and take the call. And I also understand that the radios, and it might be different in Ontario, there's a limited amount of lines or something, like how much information can well, go back and forth. So you we, need we to have, have a number of operators and we have many people on the air and they all need information and you can't have a dialogue where they explain, you know, go to the rear door on the right. I mean, you can in certain situations, but we're all trying, we're all tied to that information. We're dispatched by computer and there's a requirement to get that information. And yes, we have, uh, we have the ability of, of, uh, of, of having a quick thing when we're, we're not, we're not just kicking back and watching a movie. And that's why I use the example of, of ordering pizza. It's not just for fun. I'm not 
doing something because I want to. I'm doing things I need to. And if we reduce the number of people who are doing it by having it only being police, fire, ambulance who are utilizing this for a good reason, uh, it's not calling to tell you know uh, my my, uh, my cousin to feed the dog because I forgot to. It, it, we're reducing the exposure. We're, we're, we're limiting it to when we need to. And when the average person's upset that we're doing it, is there's an assumption in the comments where, oh, you're just calling your wife to see what's for dinner. No, and that would be irresponsible. And, and that's not something we're doing. Listen, there's gonna be people who abuse it. Uh, the problem is everyone on the road seems to be abusing it. And that just makes it an incredibly dangerous environment. Um, we also hear about speeding. Why are police allowed to speed? Because we need to speed to do certain things. Uh, again, well, you should put your lights on. Well, putting your lights on might make it more dangerous. There, there, it's, it's a lot to do with, I wanna do what you can do. And that, that becomes a uh, problem. Yeah, I had the opportunity a few months ago, um, I got to go to the police college out in Ontario and actually get in a vehicle and do some training and, and do this like spin out in water, which I've never done in the eyes, sport and all that. It took me like three times um, <laughs> and, and it was super cool. But that doesn't mean that I'm out on the road the next time it rains and I'm going to be like, hey, I know how to do this. So I'm just going to give this a little 360, 360 spin. But it was really interesting to see and experience firsthand just how in-depth the training is to become a police officer. And like you said, it doesn't make you infallible, um, but it's certainly well above and beyond anything anybody else on the road has. It gives you a different perspective. Uh, yeah. You know, it, 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 yeah, training uh, in skid school and and being someone who who has gone lights and sirens to things, you, you're just you're aware of, of different things, and you also know how scary it is. It is not something to take lightly to go lights and sirens to a call. I remember my first time we were going to a gun call, and I was the passenger, and I was wide eyed. I was not happy because we're as we're. You never know what anyone else is going to do. Um, and, and trying to get somewhere with lights and sirens, knowing that people don't always see, people don't always, because they're focused on their cell phones and doing things. It is a scary, at times, uh, event to be going lights and sirens to help someone. And knowing that the longer it takes you to get there, the higher the probability of that person not being there to save at the end. You know, they're, they're not catching the person who's breaking the law, not uh, saving the person who needs you. It's a lot of stress. Yeah. People, I don't think I understand. Go ahead. I was going to say, I just wanted to jump in. So we've talked a lot about uh, the consequences and just to, to put that in perspective, you know, more than 400 people die every year on our roads as a result of distracted driving. And we tend to think of it being, uh, you know, you know, young people or males and, and here's some interesting facts, uh, drivers of all ages. Um, are distracted. And when you look at the uh, fatality data, you see that it's not just young drivers, it's drivers of all ages. Um, we tend to think that it's mostly men and for a lot of uh, road safety uh, problems that we have, the larger proportion of the problem is often male, but when it comes to distraction, slightly larger proportion are, are women. Interesting. Um, which is interesting. and. The most important thing I think people need to understand is in a distracted driving fatality, it's often the non-distracted road user who dies. So we think about impaired driving and in more than 60% of those cases, it's the impaired driver who dies. That's not true for distraction. It's often the other road user who wasn't distracted, who was trying to make it home, uh, who ends up being killed. and. So we literally have other people's lives in our hands when we are out there on the road and we make a conscious choice to be distracted. It is, um, it is a serious topic. It's a problem, obviously, we're seeing everywhere. I hope that we can uh, you know, continue to, to draw attention to it so we can help it be, I guess, such a... a uh, Socially unacceptable. That's the one I'm looking. I, 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 it has to be something. I knew it. I was reading your minds. I was oh, reading it's your good. You got that psychic course. I'm waiting. I, it's I, next I, week. Yeah. I'm enrolled. I aced it. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's all about getting people to to accept that it's a problem, to acknowledge their own participation level, because to some degree, whether it's your cell phone or daydreaming or uh, you know having a, a speakerphone call, whatever it is you're doing other than the task at hand of driving, it's putting everyone at risk. And uh, 
I, I just I look forward to doing more of these talks with you because there's so much we need to talk about. There's so much uh, information that you have that we need uh, to help educate and and get everybody on the same team because it, it is it's roads are a shared resource. We're all there with the intention of getting to where we want to go, to the people we love, to the worker, uh, you know, to our jobs, so we can make the money to pay for the things we want. Like it's all interconnected. It's just one big blob of we, we're trying to live life and be happy. Yeah. Well, one of the many things I've learned from from Robin and, and you know I said earlier about you know if your driver's distracted, say something. The life you save could be yours. But also, um, I'll, I'll lob the ball to you here, Robin, because you can explain it way better. But it's not just about um, speaking up and choosing for yourself. But when you talk to your peer group about why you do or don't do what you do. Yeah. Take it this day, Robin. <laughs> okay. Uh, so we are all powerful all of us and the choices that we make and are speaking up about them influences the behavior of people around us and there have been a number of research studies that show that that we can actually influence people to make safer choices so if someone thinks driving using their cell phone is okay and they do it regularly and they're comfortable with it if their peer group says oh i would never use my cell phone while driving that's dangerous you know just the other day this happened or that happened and you know you miss you know half the information in your field of view uh, literally because it shrinks when you're distracted um, that person would be less inclined to then continue to use their cell phone and drive so we all have the opportunity to speak up about those choices um, and why we do them I got a new campaign. We're going to tell, we're going to ask people to become social influencers. Everyone's on social media. They want to be influencers. Let's actually influence. Uh, yeah. I was watching a, a show again uh, about a, it was a magician on Netflix, and he was talking about how he can influence social media influencers. Fascinating. I don't remember the name of it. That's how fascinating it was. No, it was it was really good. But the truth is, you know, we're doing things every day, and everyone's watching. We talked about it last time we spoke. That our kids are watching, our friends are watching. Be the best example you can be. Be that role model. Be an influencer and influence the good behavior because you might save a life in it. and it may not just be your own, maybe someone you care about. Um, I, uh, I, I, we can keep going on and on. It, it's like, these, are, these are great and uh, I don't know how long we've been talking but it's, it's been a while. Uh, we should probably call it quits for this episode because somebody's, they, they, every, some, there won't be anything to talk about. Uh, we'll do it again soon though. Uh, the, 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 now I've got the new thing. We got a campaign about social influencer. And what you said last time, I think, Karen, I think it was you who said, uh, talking about power, I, I still think there's huge power in making these decisions to take control of what you can you can control and, and make the world safer, the roads safer for everyone based on choices you make. And there's power in that. And I think that we should be proud of ourselves when we do the things. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not goofy or sentimental to make choices for, uh, for safety. Uh, and I, you know, in high school, maybe they would point at us and say, well, you, you know, you're being a goody two shoes. But the truth is, uh, anything we do has real serious repercussions. And uh, I don't want a part of that, <laughs> at least not in a bad way. Uh, thank you again so much. Uh, we'll, we'll do it again soon. And uh, turf is tirf.ca. That's where we can find you. Of course, we put it on screen. Uh, drop it and drive. Is that a, a, a separate individual site or is it a subsection of? Uh, it, it's actually blending because uh, I joined Turf over five years ago. So you can find it through dropitanddrive.com or dyad.turf.ca. But it's also you can link to it by just going to turf.ca. Awesome. Well, they're all going to be on the screens. Uh, the socials I'll put up as well. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll put this up everywhere. And uh uh, I look forward to uh, next time. So we'll... that's episode number two done. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back for episode number three just as soon as we make one. Have a great day.